Blog Talk Radio. They call me El Presidente because I am the captain of this ship. And over the next, well, 90 minute-ish or so, we'll uh, kind of guide through what's going on in sports. Got a great show on, on tap for you today. I'm really pretty excited about this. Got Derek Schultz of Quarian Schultz. Out. We've had him on the show. He's a good friend of the show. Been around for a while here in the Indianapolis market. Wanted to have him on around the Super Bowl time. It just wasn't able to, to make the connections. That he did a fantastic piece uh, called "The Oral and Oral History of Super Bowl 46" when it came to town, and here meaning here in Indianapolis, where we're located high atop the Balance Studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis. And he's going to talk to us about that article. And, and to be quite honest and quite frank, I have. Uh, followed him for years on the radio and in different things, but this is probably one of the best things he has ever put out. So he'll be up uh, next with us here to, to, to talk about that. Also, uh, Steve Wilson, of this, uh, uh, editor-in-chief of Speedway Digest, our official NASCAR contributor, joins us to talk about, well, what a great uh, week la- uh, NASCAR was last week. Of course, rolling back into California. Can they keep that momentum up? We're going to talk uh, to Steve about that. Tony Donahue, the Tony D podcast, uh, joins us to talk some NBA. He's our official NBA contributor, but he's also content director of BurnoutSports.com. He's down in St. Pete, uh, where IndyCar is making a return. Can you believe it's only 92 days till the Indianapolis 500? I don't know what what's bigger than that than having uh, Derek Schultz on with us. Derek, good morning, sir. Welcome back to The Balance. How are you? Hey, it's great to talk with you. I uh, appreciate the invite. And I was trying to think oh, of the last time that we, we had talked. It's been a minute. I feel like it's maybe been a uh, – has it been a year? Has it been that long? It's been a little, a little bit longer than that. The last time you were on was the uh, uh, Super Bowl last year because you couldn't come on this year. So, uh, hey, it's all gotcha, good, man. Okay. I'm glad we're I'm glad we're we're getting the band back together for a, a few minutes anyway. Speaking of <laughs> there you the go. Band, speaking of the band back together, you you and Derek didn't skip a beat when you guys went over to ISC Network. I, you know, I have had a chance to listen to it a few times, and um, it's pretty good. I you know I don't get up early to listen to Derek anymore on the radio, so. I mean, to, well, today. Pre- <laughs> yeah. Today. Well, pretty good is what we – pretty good is a good bar for us to shoot for. But, yeah, you know, we were when, – when we uh, – when the show, the radio show ended, um, you know, we had we had kind of thought about what the future was going to look like um, because we, we kind of knew that we were going to drift off, and, and that's sort of what we did. You know, Jake obviously is now the morning show host at – 107.5 and 93.5 the fans here locally. I was thrilled for him when he got that. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've got 
I've got my finger in a couple of pies um, as far as just kind of local media freelance stuff. But I'm, I'm happy that we've been able to keep it alive once a week because we spent so much time together. I mean, the show um, show started in August of 2011, so it's been over a decade, really, out, outside of the six or seven months where we, we weren't contractually allowed to do anything uh, after our dismissal. Uh, we had to sit out a non-compete. But uh, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that. Uh, you know, I, I, I miss being on daily, but it, it's been nice to at least kind of keep that ball in the air once a week on ISC. Well, I'll tell you what, you're doing a great job. I and mean, that's one of the reasons I, I brought you. You're always welcome. You don't need an invitation. Uh, but, you know, you put out a piece uh, around Super Bowl uh, in the Indianapolis Monthly called An Oral History of When the Super Bowl 46 Came to Town. Uh, here's the story of the biggest event the city ever hosted, told by the people who were then there 10 years ago. And, Derek, as I mentioned in my opening dialogue, I've been following you for a good number of years. In my opinion, this is one of the best things you have ever put out uh, personally. So tell me the story about behind it, and we'll kind of get into the meat meat of it here in just a second but just tell me a little bit of did, did you just kind of like have a a vision of putting it together and you just started writing and putting it together i guess you had to go and how did you how did you come about getting the idea of doing this this piece yeah i i appreciate you saying that you know i, I wish i could take credit for having the idea i i didn't have the idea um daniel Kamitsky who's the deputy editor and michael rubino who's the editor-in-chief of indie monthly um actually mm-hmm. approached me late in the fall and I, I had been doing just online content for them, you know, every once in a while. Um, the, mm-hmm. the actual edict that I was given was uh, write whatever you feel like it. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. Um, I, I was just writing, you know, I wrote, I wrote a thing about Carson Wentz and wrote a thing about, I did a Q and a with Matt Painter, you know, stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. And they said, Hey, you know, the 10 year anniversary is coming up as you know, and we really want to compile an oral history. Do you want to do it? And, and I think, Most of the reason I would love to think that, oh, I'm a great writer, so that's why they asked me to do it. I think a lot of the reason that they asked me to do it was because um, of my contacts. You know, I've been working in the sports media for so long. All all the movers and shakers that were involved in this event from an Indianapolis side of things, um, Allison Melanchthon, who's now with Penske, uh, Mark Miles with with IndyCar, um, Mm -hmm. Chris Gall at Visit Indy are are all people that I have at, at least, if not close relationships with and some sort of a contact with. Um, it was so much fun, man. It, it was just, it, it was so fun to approach people for something that everyone wanted to talk about. You know, um, there was so much pride and joy with that. It was such a dream week for everybody that was involved that I, I really didn't run into a lot of issues of getting people to talk to me. Um, you know, the, the, the one thing where I feel like I fell short and I got kicked down the road a couple of times. I, I really would have liked to have somebody on Jimmy Fallon had a crew of like 70 people here. Yeah. I really would have liked to have somebody from Jimmy Fallon's crew go on record with me because everyone raved about how cool they were, but I, I just, you know how it is with corporate and New York yeah. and NBC. I, I just couldn't, uh, I tried and tried and tried. Actually I had submitted my first draft um, at the end of December and that morning, Eli Manning's agent called <laughs> and said, hey, Eli can talk to you in an hour. <laughs> and I said, oh, okay, <laughs> okay. sure. So I, so I did a half an hour uh, phone call with Eli Manning. Um, but it, and that really kind of tied a bow on the whole piece. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to, uh, to get the chance to do something like that and, and to relive, you know, an event that I was here for, you were here for as well. It was, yeah. it was such a surreal week for the city. 
It was. And, you know, it's the first Super Bowl I've ever had a chance to really be at and a part of. And Super Bowl Village was, was awesome. Obviously, we know it was the Giants and, and, and the Patriots uh, uh, back in the day. Uh, of course, as you mentioned, Eli Manning was the MVP. And it was the other Manning there in, in Lucas, Lucas Oil. And uh, so a lot has changed over the last 10 years uh, for, the, uh, for the city of Indianapolis. And you did a great job with this speech. I just kind of want to walk through the meat of it. And, and I remember because I'm here in Indianapolis, you're here in Indianapolis, but, you know, a lot of people don't get to see what happens at, at, leading up to the Super Bowl until they get there. They, they, they experience all that's there, but they don't get to be a part of what happened. And Indianapolis did a really good job of just setting the tone for the city itself, for the people at the city. Okay, maybe you don't have a ticket to the Super Bowl, but you do have a ticket to downtown Indianapolis. And one of the things they did in Monument Circle here was they set up, you know, uh, Indy cars with all the the NFL teams, or, or at least, yeah, I believe it was every NFL team anyway. That was so cool to have that tie-in between IndyCar. We're just 92 days away from the Indianapolis 500. IndyCar starts again today down in St. Pete. How cool was that experience? You talk about that at the very beginning of your piece, talking about the cars and stuff, setting the stage. And you go through uh, different people that you talk to, um, and certainly, you know, Eddie White, the call call for Eddie White, Greg Ballard, uh, Mac Ingle, all of those people had some great uh, things to say. Uh, but it was just a great session. So talk with us a little bit. I'll kind of go through the piece here because I do want people to go to IndianapolisMonthly.com and, and uh, check it out. But let's just kind of go through the meat of this um, of, of this story here. So the this, this stage is being set. Talk, take us there. Yeah, so what I really kind of wanted to do, like if you've noticed in the beginning of the piece, it talked about losing the bid to Dallas. I actually had originally in the, the, the original draft was 6,000 words. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so we couldn't put 6,000 words. It'd be the whole magazine. So it, it basically right. got cut in half of what I first submitted. But the first story talked a lot about, you know, laying the background of how, how Indianapolis even got this game. Um, and I, I don't think you can tell the story of the triumph of 2012 without talking about the heartbreak of 2011, because, it, it felt like it was going to be Indy's Super Bowl, Indy's turn the year prior. And mm-hmm. Jerry Jones comes in in the last minute and, you know, shakes some hands, stuffs some pockets, and, of course, it ends up going to Dallas. And what ends up happening, whether you want to call it karma or whatever else, is that the Dallas mm-hmm. Super Bowl is a total disaster. Now, a lot yeah, of that right. had to do with the weather, and we had an ice storm here, so thank God it wasn't here because <laughs> – you know, clearly, clearly there was some luck involved. Um, the, the weather was all-time fluky for the first week of February where you had temperatures that were pretty comfortably in the 50s uh, for most of that week, at least during the day. Um, so Indy lucked out there. But they also just – they knew what they were doing logistically. They knew how to get people around. And the Dallas Super Bowl, as Mac, who's actually a, a North Central grad in an Indianapolis state, had pointed out um, – it, it just was, was one that's remembered for the calamity that it was. So it was, it was perfect to set the stage for Indianapolis because not that Indy needed a low bar um, to cross, but it was a low bar because of what, what they were coming off. And I think it really opened people's eyes to um, the job that a northern, you know, kind of small market-ish Midwestern city can do in not needing a big Metroplex. But, you know, you point to the Indy cars, Tom, and, and a lot of that stuff. Um, I think what all 
also made it a success was that the organizers, like Susan Ballman, who was in charge of the, the Super Bowl Village, I, I think they made it ours. Um, they put Indiana and Indianapolis' stamp on it. Um, you know, what you said about not having a ticket to the game, the Super Bowl itself is a very corporate event. They, you know, it, generally speaking, if the Super Bowl is in Jacksonville, Detroit, Los Angeles, New York, there aren't a lot of New Yorkers, Jacksonvillians, Detroitians, you know what I mean, that, that actually attend that Super Bowl because it's executives from Pepsi and, and you know, whatever else. It's, it's a corporate event. It's not really a public event. But we made this Super Bowl, the organizers here, a public event, a celebration of Indiana and Indianapolis. Hey, come downtown, stick around, do the zip line, go to the bars, go to the restaurants, high-five a stranger on the sidewalk. All of that stuff happened during that week, and I, I think that's a lot of what made it really, really special. So I tried to just kind of – I had a couple of avenues that I wanted to go down. I, I wanted to highlight a couple of certain uh, things, and, and that's why it's sort of segmented. Like, okay, here's everyone's recollection of the Super Bowl Village. Here's everybody talking about what happened at St. Elmo and the, and the chaos there with all the celebrities – and then, of course, you know, I, I, I did shine a light on what was a, a not-so-comfortable situation on Friday night where things just, right. if you were down there, you know what I'm talking about. Things on Google Street just got way overcrowded. And, um, and I, I actually, you know, just a personal story, my, I was there with my wife. It was about 9 o'clock, and I just said, let's get out of here. we got to go home uh, because it was just an uncomfortable situation. But the rest of the week was amazing. Yeah, you know, and it was crazy. I don't think they planned for that. I think what, well, I, I guess they kind of did because they said we're just going to let everybody come in, and because you know they have big events downtown all the time. They didn't plan for the fact that nobody was going to leave. And you talk about that in your piece. You did a, a very good job on about talking talking about that night. And you talk going back to the Super Bowl Village in itself. You know, that was an experience. If you didn't have a ticket to Lucas Oil Stadium at Super Bowl, you had the opportunity to experience the Super Bowl. And Super Bowl Village was everything. Did you do the zip line when it was here? Did you do that? I did not make it. I, I stayed in line <laughs> for about, <laughs> I think it was about three hours, and, uh, and we ended up not being able to make it. You're, you're the perfect size for a zip liner, Derek. <laughs> I, I, I would have been flying down that thing, man. Yeah. I'd tear the thing down. They probably wouldn't have even let me on. Uh, but, yeah, it was just the zip line, how they, how they had that set up. The whole Super Bowl village was set up. You know, Monument Circle was set up. And you, you would think, okay, man, we can handle thousands of people here. And, and still to this day, we're uh, – Super Bowl Village was is still, you know, a, a great place to go down and visit in downtown Indianapolis. Now, I would say that Indianapolis had already made its mark as far as being able to host big events. But I would say that it also proved that it had a spot for big events like the Super Bowl. You know, a lot of people say, well, we've had the Big Ten, we've had, but can they handle a Super Bowl? And I've talked to a lot of people because you know, I talk to a lot of people when they come here for Combine, and, you know, I have a good friend that's on the show with us quite often, Ed Kratz, and he's a beat writer for the Philadelphia Eagles. He comes, he'll be here in, uh, next, uh, next, in the next couple of weeks for the Combine. He told me that he hears people talk about the Indianapolis Super Bowl. Like, when, when, they, when the Eagles were up in Minneapolis and they, they were in the Super Bowl, he was telling me that people were saying, you know, this is a lot like Indianapolis – but Indianapolis did it better. So people still to this day talk about Super Bowl in 46 in Indianapolis. We hit, we, we, we nailed it. We did a great job with it. The Super Bowl committee is, do you think we'll ever get another one? 
especially what we now know to be out in Los Angeles all the time. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a, it's actually a great question. And, you know, originally, just personally, my line of thinking was, of course you want another one if you can get the chance to have another one. But, you know, kind of doing this piece, and, and you know, it's hard to believe it's been 10 years, right? I mean, it's, yeah. it's, we're all getting older. Um, and, and reflecting on that week and, and how special it was, I've had several people tell me that, you know, n- nobody at Visit Indie is going to say this. Of course, the Visit Indie and the Convention Center and, and everybody else, you know, the, the, you know, Mitch Daniels, people like that, of course, would love to have it back. I've talked to a lot of, like, fans and sports media people that feel like maybe that should just be the walk-off home run for the city. You know, they, they did it, and a lot of people didn't think they could. And as great as we are in this city at doing these events, there's just no possible way that logistically it goes as smoothly as it did. I mean, it was just the, you know, again, I I don't want to discredit the other organizers, but it was a lot of luck that was involved, especially with the weather to make that the success that it was. So, you know, part of me is almost like, yeah, do do I want to do it again? Because is it just going to get, is it it just going to ruin that, special memory of what was a near perfect mm-hmm. Super Bowl in 2012. Well, you did a great job. I see you have some comments on here from a lot of different people across the board. Dion Branch. I was looking for Tom Brady. He didn't take your call. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, there, there were a couple of, there were a couple of reach candidates uh, there. Brady was one. Um, I also tried to, I reached out to Adam Sandler's people. Um, of course, I tried to get Jimmy Fallon on, but I really I would have yeah. settled. I would have happily settled for a staffer. But um, you know, I, I wanted to keep it Indiana centric. Sure. And the the players that have Indiana ties on both of those teams are Kiwanuka, who obviously is a Cathedral grad and, and grew up here. And I don't know if a lot of people know this. Um, Dion Branch and his family live in Carmel. Um, he is on the Carmel football yeah. coaching staff. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, he's a Louisville guy. He had some ties. I, I think his wife is from the Chicago area. So they did have some ties to the Midwest or this region. But, you know, essentially he, he told me in, in our conversation, I said, so, dude, how did you end up here? Because it, it doesn't make any sense that Dion Branch is here. And he said, essentially, they were looking for a spot in Chicago. And he and his wife um, were like, hey, the real estate's a lot more affordable and better. You get more bang for the buck in Indy. So they ended up um, – coming up in Carmel, but, uh, but yeah, I, I did, you know, with any project like this, of course you reach out to the people, even that, you know, that you're probably not going to get. Um, so I, I, I ended up talking to over 50 people. So not, not everybody that's was great. actually included in the piece and that's not intentional. It's just, you know, for brevity's sake, we, we had to cut where we cut, but, um, but I was really happy with where it turned out, you know, the, the two people that I really wanted to talk to for this, were, um, were Eli Manning and Jim Irsay, and, mm-hmm. and both ended up, of course, um, talking to me about it. Uh, I was fairly right. confident that the other organizers were going to get on and, and, um, and be happy to speak to me about it. But considering how busy those two are and how difficult it is to get a hold, especially of Eli, a national figure, um, I, I, was, I was really happy that both of those came through. Derek Schultz, so glad that you could join us uh, from IFC Sports uh, uh, Net. Uh, I see on your Twitter here you're a clueless dad. Now, I've been following just via Facebook and through your, your post this, the, the, the story of your son. Your son was actually, was he not born on Super Bowl weekend, if I'm not correct on that, or it was close to that, wasn't it? Yeah, actually, the, the joke is, is that um... – when we found out our due date, it was February 1st of 2017. So he just turned five. 
And uh, the joke I made while we were in the um, the the office of uh, of our doctor uh, was, oh, uh-huh. I hope he stays in there past the Super Bowl. And that was the Patriots Falcons epic Super Bowl. Um, and my father-in-law was here. Both of my in-laws obviously were here. And um, big, big Patriots fan. He's a uh, 20-year season ticket holder in Foxborough. And um, and it looked bleak for the Patriots. And then, of course, they come all the way back and they win in overtime and the game ends. And we're getting ready for bed. It's about 1130. And my wife comes out of the um, uh, kitchen and she says, uh, I think my water just broke. <laughs> so uh, hustled up to the hospital and uh, and James was born the, the next day. So not Super Bowl Sunday, but the, the day after that, um, That's after awesome. the Patriots yeah. stopped in Super Bowl. Yeah. I, I kind of also remember just us talking about getting you on the, the show for a Super Bowl special and things. And we were kind of like, yeah, it's going to happen. You're like, wait, it's not going to happen. It was, it's great. I, I love seeing your, 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 your pictures of the little guy there. He looks just like it, Derek. Uh, if he's got your attitude and, and charisma, he's going to, he's, he's going places in, in this world. So uh, looks like you, you got <laughs> your hands full there. Are you still clueless though? <laughs> Yeah, learn something you new know, every day uh, being a dad, don't you? <laughs> yeah, you learn some things. Uh, but, yes, overall, I mean, I'm coolest a lot of, about a lot of things, if we're being totally honest. But, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> one of those things. Uh, it's a lot of trial and error. But, um, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's been – it's you know, we talk about the Super Bowl. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years. It's hard to believe that we just celebrated my son's five-year-old birthday. That's crazy. Is he, is he super close to Uncle Jay? Uh, he does every time I have any sort of a work function. You know, Jake doesn't work with me at ISC, yeah. or anytime I have anything. You know, hey, I, I got Daddy's got to go to work. I got to go downtown or whatever else. He goes, do you to see Jake? <laughs> and I'm like, no, buddy, uh, not not everything. Not everything is with Jake. But yeah, he he is well aware of Jake. And um, you know, I, I think I've told you this before. All kidding aside, because the show is the show. Um, you know, right. Jake and I are, are close close buddies, and he's uh, sure. he's a big he's sure. a big part of my life off the air. Right. Are you still there? Yeah, I got you. Oh, I thought you were saying something else. I'm so sorry. Uh, but we have, we no, have, no I'm so glad that you jumped on with us. Just real quickly before we let you go, let's talk about the mess of the Indianapolis Colts, if you are. I mean, everybody was anti-Carson Wentz, and then we weren't. And now we are. I personally, I, it, it kind of turned out exactly the way I, I would have hoped that we could have at least got to the playoffs. So we have a the Colts have a lot to work out, you know. And getting rid of Carson Wentz is going to be a, a big financial bite for the Colts to take. Um, and there was a local media person here. I, I won't mention right now, but he has basically said that Carson Wentz was a, a recycled water bottle from the Philadelphia Eagles trash can. Now he's a recycled water bottle in the Indianapolis trash can. What do the Colts do about Carson Wentz? Well, I, I think they're moving on. Um, I, I just originally coming out of the Jacksonville game, I thought, okay, well, this went poorly the final month of the year, but there's probably a 50-50 shot that he's back. And then when everybody gave their postseason press conferences, like Ballard and Reich, and especially what Jim Irsay had to say, I, I think really it was put out there pretty clearly, even by the stuff that wasn't said, that they're going to aggressively try to move on. So I'd be really surprised if by March 18th, Carson Wentz is still on the team. The problem is, is that you're going to have to sell him off for 20 cents on the dollar. I do think there's a market for Wentz because the quarterback market stinks. 
So while that's a disadvantage for the Colts, that's also an advantage in the sense that there are plenty of teams out there where Wentz might feel like their best option, at least compared to Marcus Mariota, Teddy Bridgewater, you know, some of the other, Andy Dalton, the, the standard fare on the free agent wire. So I do think the Colts could get like a middle round pick and they might have to eat some of the money um, uh, mm-hmm. that, that absorbs some of the money on Wentz's contract. But it's not the worst position to be in the world. They have a lot of cap space. Um, and I don't think the money is really going to be an issue. Chris Ballard's about to enter year six. Frank Reich is about to enter year five. Uh, it's time to win. And so whatever they have to do to, to get there, they're, they're going to do that to get there. So I'm not worried about the financial aspect of it all. I'm just disappointed, Tom, in the sense that I was admittedly I was low man on Wentz. Like I, I um, 2017 was a long time ago, and that was great that he was great for 12 games. But we're talking about 12 games five years ago. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, but but my feeling was, you know, optimistically was okay. Maybe he can be good enough to at least be a two-year bridge to whoever's whoever's next. And the fact that he fell short even of that um, is disappointing because. I think in the middle of the season, he was fine. He, it, at times, he was pretty good. You know, from about – once those ankles healed up from about week four to week – through the Tampa game. And Tampa game, actually, I thought was the best game that he played, and they lost. Um, and he threw two interceptions, including the, the game ender. But um, I, I thought you could live with that level of quarterback play. But, God, the last month of the season, he threw for 50 yards against New England. Um, outside of the last drive against Arizona, uh, the game-clinching drive, it was really a lot of luck. And I think the Colts looked at that and said, "Look, we, we can't we can't continue um, we can't continue down this path." Now they they've got other areas to improve. I, I think the big problem for the Colts, if we're taking kind of the the bird's eye view of this whole thing, is that they're just not good enough at the positions that matter. Um, the Colts' best players are at non-impact positions. Their best player is a guard. Um, their second best player is a middle linebacker. Um, they have a great slot corner. They have a Pro Bowl long snapper. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, those, those aren't positions that win you games. Um, quarterback wins, duh. Wide receiver having a, an unbelievable playmaker there, having great edge rushers. Those are the positions that really matter and make an impact in the game. And I think it, it showed in when you look at the Rams and how they're built or, the, or Cincinnati and how they're built or Kansas City and how they're built. And I think that's where the Colts need to shift their focus is getting better there. Um, you know, they're, they're a team – I think Chris Ballard has done a good job. I do. Um, but they're a team that's built more to win in 1998 than it is in 2023. So, real quickly, Terry Bridgewater, you see a fit? I mean, you know, uh, you're talking about, <laughs> I, I think, a guy that would be on his sixth or seventh team in the last mm-hmm. seven or eight years. So, if Teddy Bridgewater was any good, he would have stuck somewhere, right? Um, the one thing about Bridgewater is that while he probably doesn't have the ceiling and any elite tools like what Wentz has, and that's what's so frustrating about Wentz is that he can show you that he can do some things and only a handful of guys can do, but he just doesn't do it consistently. Uh, Bridgewater probably has a higher floor. Um, I, I think he is a, you know, pound for pound, probably the same level of player of Wentz, but a, a little bit of a safer choice than Wentz to not make a big mistake. And to, um, as Chris Bauer said, hit the layups. So the the underneath stuff, um, the crossers, um, stuff like that, which which really disappeared from the Colts' offense. It really wasn't involved with the Colts' offense at all. When you've got like Nikeem Hines and players like that, you need to have a little bit more of a short game, and the Colts didn't really have that at all. Derek, real quickly, does uh, Jim Mersey back up the Brinks truck for Jimmy G, Russell Wilson, or Aaron Rodgers? 
I, I think the most – well, it's hard to say most likely because I don't, I don't think any of those are extremely likely. Um, I would feel like out of that group, the most attainable would be Wilson because Seattle might feel like we've got to move on and, and Wilson knows that any trade will involve a huge extension. So the Colts would – hypothetically, if the Colts were to trade for Wilson, they would then extend him and, and he'd be like a 40 or $50 million guy. Um, so I, I think there's maybe some motivation. I don't think Rodgers is going anywhere. I think it's a lot of hustle and bustle. Um, Garoppolo, the problem is, is that while he is an upgrade over uh, Wentz, I, I think his ceiling is low. Um, you know, he is the guy that I, I think a lot of the numbers that are good to him are based on having a lot of players in his offense that are big yards after touch guys, like Samuel, like Kittle, people like that. You know, mm-hmm. it, it felt like Garoppolo's whole MO was throw a four-yard pass and watch it go for 40 because he had <laughs> right. playmakers around him. And while, again, Garoppolo is, is safer, um, I think that you worry attaching major money to somebody that I think has a low ceiling can be a liability at times, like you saw in the NFC uh, championship game. And also um, is not always available health-wise. You know, he's, he's got a little bit of a history of, of being injury prone. And that's something else that you worry about when you're looking for the, the franchise guy. Derek Schultz, we appreciate you joining us and uh, talking about one of the best pieces I've ever seen you do. You know, if, if you own the rights to this stuff, of all of that stuff that was unedited, I think you got yourself a great book there. And oral, oral history of when the Super Bowl 46 came to town, here's the story of the biggest event the city ever hosted, told by the people who were there 10 years ago. Derek was there. Check it out on IndianapolisMonthly.com. Derek, where else can people find your works and masterpieces, sir? Yeah, I got a lot cooking. Uh, Corian Schultz, as we mentioned, is every Monday night. Um, you could see it if you, if you have Comcast in the Indianapolis area or in Lafayette, Fort Wayne, a couple of other areas in the state. Um, you can watch it on Comcast 81, uh, Monday night at 730. We also stream to our YouTube channel. It's available in podcast form, so a lot of our longtime listeners like the audio and they don't like seeing our ugly faces. So um, all major <laughs> platforms, Spotify, Apple, um, the whole deal there. And I yeah. do a weekly podcast for the Indie Star as well, the Schultz Star Show, um, with, new, with new episodes every week. Um, also on Spotify, Apple, just, just search Schultz Star Show. And I've had a lot of fun with that um, over the last year or so. Great. Well, you have yourself a great weekend. I'll tell you what, it's always a great pleasure to have an A-lister like you on the show, sir. Yeah, more like a C-list, but thanks. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> always All right, enjoy Derek. the time. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Derek Schultz, uh, I love this. We had really wanted to have him on on our Super Bowl special to talk about this. Uh, uh, things didn't happen. He was traveling, different things didn't happen. So we were able to get him on today. Check that out. It's really a great piece, especially if you live here in Indianapolis and was a part of all of that. It really goes through it all. It's called An Oral History of Super Bowl 46 came to town with um, at IndianapolisMonthly.com. Real easy to find. Check it out. My name is Tom Mark Lassell, President. Say, what a great day. Totally a 500 last week. Going into California. Can NASCAR keep up the momentum? That is the question of the week. My name is Tom Mark Lassell, President. A right around the corner, Steve Wilson of SpeedwayDigest.com, our official NASCAR contributor. We break down NASCAR this week. Oh, and by the way, IndyCar returns in St. Pete this weekend. Be right back on the Balance Radio Network. 
going for him with a barbershop quartet. Bum, 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 bum. Pass the ball, pass the Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Believe it, Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Morning face. You get is when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got it's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA Sultan mattresses. IKEA. Love your home. Oh, hi. Uh, hey. Seen on the board, do you guys have Black Rifle coffee here? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. We only carry good small batch coffee here. No. Well, it is great small batch coffee. Well, that really can't be unless it's fresh roasted, so I don't, you know. Well, it is fresh roasted. I don't, I don't think you know what that means. You know what this is? This is Masa Lekwa Pique, which of course, in the Indonesian language, oh, let me finish. In the Indonesian language, it's weasel coffee. You just made that up. No, it's been passed through their digestive tract. That's disgusting. And then it's nature's wet processing. Yeah, but is it good? I mean, it's all right. Are they investor philanthropists? Do they support good causes? Yeah, tons of causes. Veterans causes and first responder causes, but it doesn't matter because they make good coffee. So that's what I'm wanting. Do you have any? You know what, actually, I'm, I'm just gonna order it. They make it fresh and roasted. Okay. Right. Black Rifle Coffee. It's good. the balance very special thank you to Derek Schultz uh, for joining us uh, talking about his oral history article that he wrote in IndianapolisMonthly.com we've got gonna have it up on social media I do encourage you to go take that out check that out it's a very very good read make sure you got yourself your black rifle coffee uh, I got my black rifle I, I got a new bag uh, this week or last week it's actually called tax squatch so if you know anything about Black Rifle, it's you know it's all kind of military oriented because what what's the great thing about it is when you buy a bag, you give a bag. So I have a friend whose whose son is in the Navy and deployed, and that's all they have on the, the ship is different types of Black Rifle coffee. But this tax squatch is like a Sasquatch with you know the the camo uh, from head to toe. He's got sniper rifle. It's actually pretty good. Check it out. BlackRifleCoffee.com. Joining us now, Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of SpeedwayDigest.com, our official NASCAR contributor. Man, the excitement the excitement that we had last week in, in Daytona. I'm, I'm sorry, Steve. How are you, sir? <laughs> I'm doing pretty good. Average, uh, 
Oh, man, it, it's a good time. It's a good week. Good week. So let's go back to Daytona. Let's talk about that race. You know, there's a lot of storylines to talk about, but, but just kind of give us some key takeaways uh, on that race and what an exciting finish it was. And by the way, DraftKings did me well with that race, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I, I think when you look back to last week, you've got a little bit of everything for everybody. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is, is that, um, you know, they, through various stages of the race, they, they they got to see a little bit of pack racing. You got to see a little bit of side-by-side racing. You got to see a little bit of tandem racing. You got, uh, for those that were interested in seeing cars um, flipping upside down and wrecking, there was that. There was beating and banging, coming to the line at the, at, at within inches of, uh, you know, one another trying to, to win the, the, the biggest race of all. So, uh, you know, overall... You know, fans that left out of there, watched on TV, listened to it on the radio, maybe followed on there on social media. Um, You know, they were just a little bit for everybody, no matter um, what your position is in the sport, whatever you may like the most about the sport and and the Daytona 500 and racing at Daytona. Um, But there was definitely something for everybody. Uh, It was very exciting. Uh, to go down there and at the very, very end, Austin Sendrick beating and banging with both his teammate and Bubba Wallace and all kinds of cars around him to, to take home the victory uh, as a rookie. Um, you know, it's uh, you know it's, it, it's something that you'll never forget and definitely your first race, um, you know, he's the ninth driver to do so, uh, win the Daytona 500 uh, and also his uh, very first Cup Series race. Uh, at the same time, and he's actually the first rookie uh, to to go out there and win the Daytona 500. So uh, you know it uh, it definitely at the end of the day there there was a lot of excitement around that. There's a lot of uh, uh, you know good racing that came out of that event, and uh, you know for Austin Cindric it will just be something that he'll never forget for the rest of his life. Well, I tell you one thing: they need to approach Steak and Shake uh, for some sponsorship opportunities. Did, did they sponsor him? Because that's where he went after he he won the Indy 500. Him and his team, and there were some pictures posted about it. And they asked him, "What did you do to celebrate?" He said, "I went to Steak and Shake." If if they aren't a sponsor, they they need to be. Now, I knew they were a big sponsor with IndyCar for a while, but uh, I don't know about NASCAR. I don't think I've seen him on a NASCAR car. Do you? I'm yeah, yeah, they, the now, I've not seen them, but <laughs> I, I can tell you one thing. I like steak and shake, so if they uh, put their name oh, on yeah. the car, yeah, we probably eat there a whole lot more. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> not that we'll I don't eat there enough shake. already. That's right. We'll get a steak and shake. Uh, their, their prop. What's your favorite steak and shake meal? Oh, uh, oh, uh, I like the double. I like the double burger with mayonnaise and cheese on. You know, I like the, the spaghetti they have there. With the the chili on top of it, not really a Cincinnati chili. I love their shakes there, all their and, and their fries, best. Now 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 you got me hungry at ten o'clock in the morning Eastern. Yeah, yeah. Maybe I can maybe I can get Steak and Shake to uh, cater the, the studio hit for us. So. But uh, there you go. You know there, there was. Let's go back to Daytona real quickly. I do want to. We got a lot to talk about with Fontana and of course IndyCar. Uh, but uh, there was. Some tempers flaring, if you will. I look at a out a on on a piece, and it says, 
and I, I'm not going to use the word, but, quote, going to effing kill that kid. Brian Blaney fumes at Austin Cindric for seemingly causing a late wreck. That's his quote, not mine. What are your thoughts? Well, you know, it, it, you know, it goes back to there's a little bit of uh, a little bit for everybody, and you know, right there at the very end, you know, Ryan Blading, Bubba Wallace, and others were all charging up there to try and you know win the Daytona 500. Uh, you know, I, I can understand and see where where Ryan Blaney within just inches of being able to do this thing, he was put in the wall. Uh, he had a fast car. Uh, Austin Cindric didn't press him up into a wall a little bit to try and squeeze that run down on uh, on Ryan Blaney. But you know, when you're that close to the start finish line, you're not going to back out. You're not going to get you're not going to get in behind somebody. You're just going to put that thing to the floorboard and and, and hope to to power through them at some some way and they get out of the way. Um, you know, so you know, I understand it. You know, it, it's well, again, when it's the biggest race that anybody will have probably ever win in their life. When, um, you know, people call him a Daytona 500 champion. So, you know, for Ryan Blaney, those guys, I mean, it's they'll have to work this thing out at the end of the day. And I mean, it's if that such uh, a little bit of a controversy within the sport. I think it's a, it's also good for the sport at the same time because, you know, being able to go out there and kind of show those emotions that, that uh, you know, are lacking in some degree uh, it, it is really a selling point for the sport because beating and banging is part of the sport. And, and you know, tempers that have flared, you know, we've, we've seen others go out there. We've seen the, uh, you know, kind of a hard jump on top of hoods at Richmond Raceway. You've seen uh, Clint Boyer run down uh, uh, Jeff Gordon at, at Phoenix one year. So, you know, the, these are the types of things that, you know, promote sport in different aspects. And, you know, while while Blaney might be mad about the fact that he lost the Daytona 500 within inches by being pressed up into the wall, uh, you know, the, these are all things that, you know, he can take from and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, him and Austin Cindric, if they decide to have a uh, internal battle between themselves all year long as Penske teammates, uh, maybe that just makes it a little bit more exciting for everybody involved. But, you know, Ryan Blaney will also have to remember, too, if Ryan Blaney was in, in the lead and Austin Cindric was, was the car that got pressed in the wall, uh, Ryan Blaney would do it uh, would do it just as any other driver in the field would. So, I, you know, I don't take anything away from Austin Cindric. I don't take anything away from Ryan Blaney. Because every single one of them will all try it with one goal in mind is to win the Daytona 500. And every single one of them would have done the same thing that Austin Stanger did get in the same position, just replace his name with, with uh, Blaney or Wallace or anybody else that was around him at the particular time. No, you're absolutely right. And you, you ask, well, okay, was was the Austin Cindric and Ryan Blaney contact in, in, intentional? You know, the obvious answer is no. Because as you talked about, the number two driver was merely defending his position, uh, which he's supposed to do. That's what he's trained to do. He's a rookie. He was doing it. Now, certainly I think uh, Blenny could have made a move a little bit earlier, and, and Sendrick did try to block him immediately. Uh, I don't know. The, the rookie driver, maybe you could look at, you could fine tune, look at some stuff and nitpick at some stuff. Admittedly, the rookie driver hadn't cleared the number 12 car fully, but the contact was fairly light. Oh, for sure. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, you know, this, this wasn't somebody that intentionally, uh, you know, uh, just went ahead and just uh, slammed him and hooked him up in the middle of, uh, of an oncoming, uh, oncoming pack 
coming out of turn four and just stack the field up in order to win. Uh, you know, we, we, there was a lot of, I guess, complaints about the fact that uh, Brad Keselowski had done it at least on two different occasions because of Rex throughout the Daytona 500 as it was uh, to try and either maintain his position or to uh, advance his position. Now, um, you know, uh, you know whether Brad Keselowski once again did this thing on purpose or, you know, whether it was just really strong runs, he's trying to defend his position and things like that. You know, I think it just all goes back to the fact that once again is that, you know, you're right. These drivers are trained to go out there and protect their position at, at pretty much all costs. And, you know, it, it, you know, I think, it, you know, Brian Blaney, Dustin Sindrick, everybody out there has to realize that, you know, when you go out there and you get in these really deep packs, run 190, 200 miles an hour, inches away from one another, uh, you know, there's split-second decisions that have to be made into either what line that you're going to run with, what cars you're going to work with, uh, who's gonna, who's got the fastest, who's got the fastest car that can push you? You know, these these are all very split second decisions that you don't have a whole lot of time to think about, and sometimes calamity happens, and you know that's just all a part of racing. But at the same time, I I, I really you're right. I, again, once again, I don't think that Austin Theory did anything on purpose. I don't think that he just decided that he saw Ryan Blading coming along. And he was just going to press him up into the wall and, and, and you know, end his uh, pursuit for, for the Daytona 500. I don't think that was the case at all. I think it's just a matter of him trying to defend his position, trying to run, uh, keep the runs at bay because, you know, he, he's having to defend off not only just one car but two cars behind him. But Blaney and Wallace had uh, been able to get around uh, additional cars and were making very strong runs against him. So he's trying to defend against two different cars at one time, and he's trying to make that bumper as wide as possible possible and and, uh, and unfortunately it just ended with contact but you know Ryan Blaney at the end of the day still get a got a pretty decent um he has to look at that he did at least get a pretty decent uh um you know finishing position out of it while he was comes up short on the day kind of 500 I know a lot of people are, are you know upset about that we saw Bob Wallace who finished second second go out there and he's very upset about the fact that he finished second just within inches of winning that so you know there's a lot of emotions that play into this at the same time and probably by the time they get it they've gotten to it uh on a close freeway this weekend they've worked this thing over thought about it a little bit more and in a spontaneous moment you know they've they've all agreed to the fact that you know no harm no foul you know, interestingly enough, uh, Joey Logano had his own problems and vented his frustration. Uh, he was, he was, which was largely directed at the number 22 machine and called it a joke of a car. All in all, though, it was a mixture of a day at the office for Team Penske with, with one driver winning and the other two drivers. Uh, either either crashing out or, or having issues. So I, I guess Team Penske saw the, uh, the yin and the yang of, of the Daytona 500 last week. <laughs> yeah, you know, I think, you know, that, but the, you know, again, it comes back to the strange part of all of this is that if you think about it, how much is Austin Sendrick and uh, Brad Keselowski work together? You know, these are this is the guy that vacated that number two to go over and and be a co-owner with a different team, and, and it seemed like the two of them were able to work together better together all day long than their own teammates. So, yeah, you, you do make a good point where they just seem to have their own internal problems in the Daytona 500, and it seems like the guy that left the team to go somewhere else was the one that was able to, to do the most help with Austin Cendrick throughout the day. Let's talk about this week. Uh, they head out to Fontana, California. You and I talked about this on the show. Certainly there's some unknowns that, uh, you know, await for teams on their return to Fontana. One of the biggest things that I think are unknown 
and I kind of think that we're going to have just a normal, and it sounds bad when I say normal because it makes it sound like there's not a lot of NASCAR fans because we know there's thousands. My, my, think, my thought process is this is going to be another NASCAR race where NASCAR fans go and watch NASCAR in Fontana. I don't know that it's going to have that pool from Southern California uh, that we had you know, at, at the start of the season with the clash and, and that sort of stuff. What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you know, uh, Autoclose Speedway has had, you know, difficulties even, uh, you know, going back to prior to the pandemic and the COVID, uh, you know, and that's why NASCAR had decided that as a track owner that they were going to reconfigure the track uh, to a short track, more resembling something that you would see at Martinsville Speedway. Um, so, you know, these are the, those are the decisions that had already been made prior to the pandemic. And you know, while that kind of put a kibosh on it for a little bit, and there seems to be some back uh, tracking as to whether this will even happen or not, just because of uh, various different issues, obviously labor issues, labor shortages, uh, supply chain shortages, construction costs have gone up, you know, over the two, three years since they've announced this thing. Um, so, you know, NASCAR was looking to make a change out there. And, I mean, we saw a dwindling number of fans that would go out to these events. You know, when Penske built this thing in 2003, something like that, I think it was, um, you know, they, there was a considerable amount of people that would go out to it. But, again, you know, it's like anything. It's new. And when they see something new, they want to go and experience the newness. And and while that lasts for one or two or three or a couple of different races, a couple of different years, eventually that started to wane off, and we saw that at Auto Club Speedway. And, you know, I, and my biggest question that I have is, is that so we sold, uh, according to NASCAR, I think about 70% of uh, the tickets sold at the Clash were to mm-hmm. first-time fans or new fans of the sport. You know, here we are three weeks later. We're going back to we're going back to California. Um, mm-hmm. Not, I mean, not incredibly too far from where they where they held this thing in L.A. I mean, yes, it's a little, you know a little bit of distance, but still, it's not incredibly too far. But I just would like to know that when you take a look at this pot of seventy percent of new fans that went to the Clash, how many of those people at that point or after that point? Seeing the class decide to buy the ticket this weekend to go to Auto Club Speedway, and mm-hmm. I think that's where we have to look at and see. Right. <laughs> it's just not the regular fan that that has continued to go back. And while there's also going to be a contingent of people that say, "Okay, well, Auto Club Speedway has been closed down for two years. I want to go out there and see it, whether they're new fans, whether they're old fans, whether they're fans that haven't watched in a while, whatever the case may be." There might be a contingent of fans out there that are going to be that. So you're going to see the contingent of people that have always gone out to auto clubs speedway. But I would still like to really hone into that that percentage of people that went to the class that had never been to a race before, mm-hmm. and just exactly. like to know how many of them crossed over to this weekend. That'd be some data points, and you know, I work in a world full of data, so I love looking at data and, and you know what connects what to what. And so I would be interesting to see the analytics and the data uh, from that from that to this race going into to, to next week. You know, certainly uh, Alan Gustan, I always mess up his name, but he's, he's, a, he's a, a crew chief for Chase Elliott, Hendrick Motorsports, loves racing there in Fontana as well. He got his first NASCAR win there uh, uh, with the crew chief for Kyle Busch. Uh, he says there's a lot of new 
many new variables in place, starting with teams. They haven't been there in two years because of the, of the pandemic. Uh, and so the track is kind of set idle. Uh, so you would think that, that they've, they've addressed that. Uh, and, and so th- this track has particularly been bumpy, he says. Uh, it upsets cars going down the, the back stretch. You've got the new car. Uh, you've got some new rules. They haven't been there since uh, 2020. What are your thoughts? And that's just one crew chief because I, I happened to see his interview and see his quote here. But about Alan Gustav, uh, great crew chief, uh, legendary crew chief. If anybody knows a track, he does, and he certainly knows that track, and he loves racing there, calling it a great track track to, and fun to attack there. From the crew chief's eyes, and you're looking at Fontana this week, what are you seeing? Well, it's a track that prior to stopping going there because of the pandemic, uh, it was a track that finally, after repaid, it had uh, started to weather itself in, which made it a bit more abrasive, and these cars were slipping and sliding around and made them a little bit uncontrollable. And in my opinion, I think that it actually made the racing a little bit better than it had been on this very slick, very kind of perfect asphalt that, that got these long green flag, green flag runs. Man, I can't talk today. Uh, these long <laughs> green flag runs, along with the fact that the tires were able to hold up throughout the throughout the entire uh, uh, run. Now, you know, right prior to the last time that they went there, tires started falling off pretty heavily out there. It was more like a Darlington where it just kind of was sandpaper underneath these things, and, and you didn't you didn't get a chance. And with these long runs, you had to be able to conserve those tires. Now, coming into this new, uh, uh, you know, with these new cars, I mean, there's just a whole blank notebook out there that these drivers and these crew chiefs and these team engineers, they're only going to get a certain amount of time out there to go out there and try and figure these things out. I mean, it's not an incredible amount of time. I mean, yes, practice and qualifying are back. But at the same time, I mean, you're not going to get hours and hours worth of uh, practice to be able to go to these new tracks. And, I mean, you're going to go out there, and I know that Fontana has tried to address, as you said, those bumps a couple of different times. I think that they've tried to do it again, once again, this, this for this weekend. I, if I remember correctly, somewhere around three, 400 feet or something was grind down on the track to try and make it smooth it out a little bit with those bumps and things like that. But... You know, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, there's just so many variables. I think Michael McDowell said it, the, kind of said it the best when we were talking to him uh, at Daytona about going back to Auto Club Speedway, and he just said basically it's just a big unknown world out there, and he's going to be in the same boat as everybody else, and everybody's going to have to figure this thing out in a very quick manner. Uh, crew chiefs, team engineers, everybody, drivers included, uh, are going to have to figure it all out, and and, and these are and then while you know you, you think back to you know just the fall off that happened in the last event there as far as tire concerns, this thing has been baking under that heat for another additional two years. They have no rubber in this track whatsoever, so it's really going to grind these things down like a cheese grater, and I think it'll make for exciting racing to be honest with you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an oval, so it's going to be really exciting. You, you know, let's talk a little bit about who, who who's going to win this race. Because I do want to talk a little IndyCar. Who's your pick 
Four Fontana, the I can't remember the the race sponsor. How bad of me? I I, I can't remember the race sponsor, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Wise Power, Wise Power, Wise Power. That's right. Uh, we didn't get a chance to get into Xfinity. Any thoughts on Xfinity? Uh, but who gets you? Who gets your pick for uh, this week before we talk to IndyCar? Woo! Uh, I I don't know. I mean, I you know, jeez. I don't know. I mean, it's going to be hard to predict this one. I mean, let's say Kyle Larson. I mean, let's let's go with Kyle Larson for this weekend. I mean, I I don't know if he's just a safe pick or what what it is, but, you know, or he's just from California, and I just want to see the kid from California win once again. But let's go with him. (laughs) Kyle Larson, that's your pick. We're going to put it up in social media. I'm going to go with you as well. I mean, California guy, I, I'm still on the love story from last year with Kyle Larson. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ride this Kyle Larson train right now, and, and so I'm going to go ahead and go with the, uh, Kyle Larson as, as well. Let's talk some uh, IndyCar. Tony Donahue is down in uh, St. Pete. He just texted me and said, it's way too loud right now. I'll try to get with you here in a few minutes, so I don't know if he's going to be able to call but I certainly wanted to talk with him. He's certainly content director for BrownOutSports.com here in Indianapolis. But he's down in, in St. Pete fall, uh, covering the opening of IndyCar. IndyCar comes back. You, you know my love for IndyCar. I love NASCAR. Don't get me wrong. But I have a special love in my heart for IndyCar. And certainly when it comes back, it's always good to, to have them come back. St. Pete, uh, street race, great race. Talk with us about what you know about St. Pete and about the opening of IndyCar this week. And we're only 92 days away to away from the Indianapolis 500, Steve. Just saying. Yeah, just you know, just think about that. That you know, of all the things that's going on, we're only like 90 some odd days away from the uh, from the Indy 500. Anyways, um, <laughs> man, you know, I, I'm just gonna call him Roman because I can never say his last name. Like, forget it. Like, whatever his last name is, you know, I, I, there's somebody out there that can pronounce it. I can't pronounce it. Uh, look at him being able to come over and uh, Andretti and being able to put that thing on the pole for um, tomorrow afternoon out there in St. Pete. Um, and ran that thing. Um, I mean, it, it, you know, for him to be able to come and, and uh, I think he comes. He think he came over from F1, if I'm correct. And, uh, somebody, uh, somebody yeah. I think told me one. Yeah, okay. Okay, great. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> anyways, I mean, for him to be able, uh, you know, I think this is just once again where we're seeing um, people from many dis- disciplines around the world, and especially F1. Which you, you, when you think about F1 as, as as a racing series, they're arguably probably the biggest one around the world outside of the United States, and there's a lot of people that follow that thing. But for somebody to take that kind of you know take that kind of step away from F1, you know, which is obviously a safe bet in many cases as far as, as far as uh, you know just uh, uh, you know you know it, it's a safe bet in the fact of you know the popularity of it and just being able to you know what you're getting out of it. To come over to IndyCar, which is very highly competitive over here, and we have so many different people trying to make it over here in IndyCar, and so many people that are trying to come up the ranks in open wheel racing that, you know, sometimes it's not always a safe bet. Uh, we've, we've seen that with Indy 500 winners. We've seen people swap around as quickly, you know, as they do in NASCAR. And I, and I think you have to give it to a guy that's, you know, willing to commit to that. 
You know, talking about just IndyCar and the history of IndyCar and what goes behind the history of IndyCar, there's nobody better that ever told the story of IndyCar and, you know, just was a great person to talk to. And that's Robin Miller. You know, we talked about his passing. This is the first IndyCar season since 1968 that – that will start without Robin Miller on the pit lane or, or media center covering the series that, that really filled his life. And, you know, there were some memorials here in town uh, to Robin Miller, but just to hear the stories about IndyCar's past and the history of IndyCar through Robin Miller's uh, eyes was, it was just incredible. So I'm really, really excited to see how IndyCar season uh, uh, pans out. So let's talk a little bit about Speedway Digest as you look at IndyCar. Um, and, you know, I know you're not the expert on IndyCar, and that's okay. But um, let's just talk a little bit about, you know, Pen- Team Penske. Obviously, you know Team Penske well uh, with NASCAR. What What's your thoughts on Penske with IndyCar this year, and especially going into in the Indy 500? Well, you know, I I, I think, uh, and I hate to say this about Penske, um, because, I mean, you know, what he's doing for the sport, but buying up not only the sport, but the the, uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I just kind of, and I know that he said when all this happened, he was going to take a step back, that he wasn't going to have a controlling factor in what happened with his cars Mm -hmm. in his series at his racetrack. But you know, a kind of feeling to me is, is that if he, if you were really committed enough to to buy the series, buy the speedway, the the most iconic speedway out there in the world, is, is that you would divest yourself in some way of this, and not just say that you're stepping back. Um, and, and this isn't a criticism against him or anybody. I mean, I think, I, I mean, honestly, I would just kind of say that. I would honestly say that about most people that were, were to to enter into this kind of agreement, and I really just do think that if um, you know if, if this is something that he continues to feel very strongly about, I would then I kind of feel like you know, at the same time I think you should kind of step away from step away and maybe uh, let somebody else divest himself, uh, separate the the IndyCar from his. Uh, or his NASCAR teams, and then let somebody else run it independently of it all. And that's where I just kind of feel like, you know, maybe there's a uh, a conflict of interest sometime. But you know, at the same time, I mean, that's I mean, he's you know, he's a businessman, and I get it. I get what he's trying to do out there. And, and sometimes it it really means that you have to put yourself in these situations where it's not always. Uh, you know, a hundred percent where, you know, you, you're going to have control of it, but at the same time, you're going to have to find ways to not have control of it. And, you know, that's, that's kind of, that's just kind of my opinions of, you know, team Penske as a whole, uh, you know, as far as their involvement in IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. And, you know, I don't know the internal workings. I'm not going to pretend to know the internal workings. And maybe there's some things that are going on behind the scenes that most people don't understand or maybe most people don't see. Maybe there are things that he's gone in there and been able to uh, say, okay, you know, we're going to – I'm going to let other people run this thing. And I know that he does have other people running this thing. We haven't seen him on the pit box uh, like we have in the past calling, uh, you know, for for his drivers at, at the Indianapolis 500 or even in other specific events. But at the same time, I you know maybe you know maybe there are other things that I'm just not aware of. But 
you know, overall, you know, you're going to put Will Power and Justin Newgarden back in these cars, and you know, this year, and it's just going to be, um, you know, I think I think they're two strong contenders. Will Power is probably going to run once again for the for the championship. I mean, uh, you know, Joseph Newgarden has been a proven winner in this sport already as it is. And, uh, you know, I think he's got a lot of, uh, you know, popularity behind him at the same time. You know, if Will Power, hopefully, he just kind of keeps a, a couple of what, uh, what I consider some of those anger issues down to a minimum. And in which case, I think he'll do, do much better off and make that run for the championship at the end of the year. You know, it's good to see Elio Castanezas. Uh, back at St. Pete, uh, as, as we know, last year he won the Indy 500, and what an exciting uh, win that was. Uh, but Elio Castanavis, back as a driver, I kind of like it. I, I don't know that it's full-time, but we know that he's racing this weekend um, and looking for another win. Obviously, uh, the last win he had was, well, one of the biggest that most people ever have in their life, but for the fourth one, it just puts him in very exclusive company. What are your thoughts about Elio Castanavis? Look, I know the, the effort that they put together, they won the Indianapolis 500 last year, was, you know, incredible altogether all in itself. Um, you know, but for him, I know he's he's beginning to get to a point where he's going to eventually start aging out of this sport and maybe start making the transition over to something new, um, whether it's part of team ownership, maybe it's part of running a team, whatever the case may be, driver development, et cetera. Um, but for him... You know, I'm I'm excited that he he's once again coming back and 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 going to be at St. Pete. Um, I don't I'm like you. I don't know if this is going to be uh, be a full time ride that will uh, they're going to be able to fund throughout the entire part of the year. But you know, if they can get into some of these bigger races and uh, maybe go back up there to the Indianapolis 500 here in 90 some odd days uh, and try and back that win up, uh, I think he'll be uh, I think it'll be a very popular win for for sure. It'd be great for Meyer Shank and obviously teamed up with, with Simon Padijan. Let's talk about Jimmy Johnson. Jimmy Johnson's going to be in the booth in Fontana this weekend, but he's also going to be competing for the first time in the Ovals with IndyCar, and, and the first of those races will be uh, the XPEL 375 at Texas Motor Speedway in, on March 20th. Are we going to see kind of a move of Jimmy Johnson full-time in the booth or full-time uh, IndyCar driver, or is he going to continue wearing both hats? You think? No, I don't. I don't think Jimmy Johnson is interested in going full time uh, in either one. I think he likes to do a little bit here and a little bit there, and that seems to be like his uh, path uh, now that he's fully re- uh, that once he retired from NASCAR, is he kind of took a step back, figure out what he wanted to do next, and obviously he started going to do some IndyCar tests, uh, and then finally is going, you know, been making going. You know he's going to make that make a start at Texas in um, a couple months, whatever it is. I, I don't can't remember the date, but anyways, yeah, he's he's going to make that um, start there at Texas. But you know, for him, I think he's uh, he's going to bring a he's going to bring a wealth of knowledge also to the booth uh, as it is. Uh, he's still very much ingrained with uh, Hendrick Motorsports and things that they do there within the shop and Jeff Gordon. Uh, you know, he, he, you know, he like, he like Jeff Gordon has been signed to a lifetime contract over at Hendrick Motorsports. And, um, you know, while he's not a driver over there anymore, he still has very much a part to play in Hendrick Motorsports, uh, just as Jeff Gordon continues to do. So I, I, again, I think it just goes back to Jimmy Johnson's going to do what Jimmy Johnson wants to do. He has no, uh, 
uh, reason to, to to spend a you know a full time season in any car. He has no time, no reason to spend a full time uh, part of the season with a broadcast part over in NASCAR. Uh, he gets to basically when you're the seven time champion in NASCAR, right. you get to pick and choose what you want to do. <laughs> That's right. Jimmy Johnson has that uh, fortunate part of life where. He really does get to do whatever he wants to do. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that plays out. We got you in overtime here. Uh, Tony's down in St. Pete. He was supposed to call in and, 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 and talk with us a little bit about IndyCar and the opening of IndyCar season. Certainly he's the content director for BurnoutSports.com uh, and based here in Indianapolis with me. Uh, and then he also hit some NBA talks. We won't be doing NBA talk today. I won't throw that on you. But we do have you here. Can you stay or you got to go? Yeah, I can say for a couple more minutes. Oh, fantastic! And you know what? We'll we'll get back over into uh, to uh, NASCAR maybe here in a minute because we did not get a chance to talk about the Xfinity race uh, this week. And so we 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 do want to you know talk about that. Um, so let's talk a little bit about who we think might have a fight for the championship. And if if that doesn't make you think too hard today, because I hate to think, uh, but the two youngest stars in IndyCar, I, I like watching. They're a lot of fun. One of them being Colton Herta, uh, certainly a uh, pedigree driver. If you you hate to say that, because it's like, is this is he a dog or a horse? But uh, and then Paddle Award, are uh, they ready to take the championship? The, the, the youngest drivers in the Rain Series. I might actually be Alex Pillow. I'm not sure. Out of those three, do you, do you see a championship this year with any of those three? Alex Pillow, Pato Award, or Colton Herta? Oh, you know, I've I've kind of followed, you know, uh, uh, Colton Herta, you know, as he's come up. And, I mean, he's he's very young in this sport. He's uh, a long way to go in this sport. And, uh uh man if he if he if he can pull off a a championship i think he he's got he's got to go get some has still some heavy hitters that are still out there uh within the sport um but yeah i i i would i would like to i would think that he i don't know i mean you know, I, I I think at this point, and I I think we gotta you know again I I always hated this point of the year trying to pick a pick a a champion in any anything because it's like yeah we just had the Daytona 500 yes we're getting ready to have the first day of the race in IndyCar in St Pete but at the same time does the first race really dictate how the rest of the season goes? Can it give you a kind of a, a kind of barometer as to who's who's already starting to get their stuff together very early in the season and who doesn't and has to improve, but at the same time, I have a really, really hard time. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I, I, I don't know. You know, again, Colton her, uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to start what second or something like that. So, mm-hmm. um, I, 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 you know, if we're going to pick somebody, let's go with Colton Herter. He's young. He's got a long ways to go, and if he can win a championship this year, I think it'll be pretty impressive. Well, you know. That's who I've got. Who was who was going to be my official pick uh, for uh, the race this weekend? It's Colton Herta. He's got a little bit of work to do. Uh, Grojan is probably a, a good solid pick there uh, for t- today's race. Who do you who do you got to win uh, today's race? If you were to make a pick for today's race in St. Pete. Hmm. What? <laughs> Go with Simon Pagano. Oh, that's a good pick, actually. So I'm going to go with Colton Herta. We'll get all of our stuff up on 
on uh, social media. And so let's bounce back to Fontana, if you will. See how, how we can just go from Florida to California in a matter of minutes? I mean, that's amazing. <laughs> We're we're back at we're back in California. Let's talk about the Xfinity race. Obviously today, uh, five o'clock on FS1, the Auto Club Speedway. We we'll talk a little bit about the track. Let's just talk a little bit about the Xfinity race series, and and, uh, and we'll get into some of these drivers as well. Well, you know, uh, you know, going back to Auto Club Speedway. I mean, the, the the one good thing about the Xfinity series is is that they haven't made way too many changes to these cars. So anybody that's out there uh, this weekend or with a team that has uh, been around for a little bit or even you know two or three years, uh, is at least going to be able to have a little bit of a notebook that they're going to be able to go out there and uh, they're going to be able to go out there and uh, use it uh, on the Coach Speedway. So got to give props to them where they're going to go, where they're going to have a leg up on the Cup guys for once in their lives. Uh, they always seem to be the guys that, or the series that's right behind the Cup series as far as technology is concerned and notebooks are concerned. But hey, they're going to go in this time. They're going to have a note. Uh, they're going to have a notebook to, that the Cup guys don't have. But you know, uh, you know, looking back, let's just look back to last week. You know, Austin Hill—he's a guy that came over from the truck racing, truck series. He had been running for Hintori Racing for a couple of different seasons. Uh, come up short in, in the championship over there for Hintori Racing, but he comes in, he changes, he changes gears, he goes over to the Xfinity series, and he comes in and and partners up with uh, Richard Childress Racing. He goes out there, wins uh, last Saturday in Daytona. And, you know, when Richard came came to Victory Lane to congratulate him and do the post-race interviews, he said, this won't be the first time that you see Austin Hill in Victory Lane throughout the 2022 campaign. Now, go back to it, when he was in the truck series with his Tory Racing, um, and I'm going to bounce back and forth just a little mm-hmm. bit in this story. But anyways, uh, you know, sure. when he was with Tory Racing, Tory Racing was a, it was it has always been a, a group of uh, – or a – a team that has had um, de- a good a good quality driver such as Austin Hill in that in that vehicle. They also have um, you know they also have uh, only just I think it's maybe three or five full time employees that put that program together. They have a lot of people that come in and try and help them out part time and at the track, but overall. They don't have a whole lot of people that have been able to go out there and, and have a full-time, you know, full a full-time contingent of, of employees like you would see at, a, at mm-hmm. any other team. Now they've been able to take this and they've been able to use this to their advantage. They've been able to go out there and win in the truck series with Austin Hill and, and with very sometimes with very little help behind them. And you know, uh, Shigi Atori, that that is the owner of this, has put his name on this truck, has put his own businesses behind this truck, in lieu of being able to find sponsors at the same time. And they've gone out there and win with Austin Hill. So Austin Hill coming back, coming and partnering up with somebody like Richard Childress, I think Richard is right. I think that he won't be the first time that we see him in Victory Lane this year, just because you go from the lack of. Uh, a lack thereof uh, support in, 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 you know, not only their shop, but over at Hattori Racing as far as funding of their vehicles, but to, you know, Richard Childress that has an immense amount of backing and an immense amount of people that work for him. Um, you know, Austin Hill is a driver. He's, he's oh, yeah. confident in what he does. 
He's able to win on multiple different styles of tracks. We've seen him do that in the trucks. And I think mm-hmm. that, you know, for him, uh, it will not I, – I think he's absolutely right. And Richard Tristan is thinking. I know, you know, unfortunately we saw what happened to Brandon Jones in the in, at Daytona. He he got tied up once again, had some issues out there for him. And, and I feel bad for this kid because it always seems like when he has a good day going that Brandon Jones, just something happens to Brandon Jones. He's a mm-hmm. mechanical issue, somebody else wrecks him, and he's not able to contend for these events. And I don't think that it's, a, it's necessary necessarily all he's doing. I think that he's just got a lot of bad luck into this, and hopefully, hopefully, maybe he can turn this thing around at some point and maybe get some wins out of it all. We're talking with Steve Wilson of SpeedwayDigest.com. Uh, thank you for sticking around with us uh, and, and talking some IndyCar with us as well. And we were talking NASCAR as well with Fontana. We're talking some Xfinity uh, series. We're talking about Austin Hill. you got to like that kid, Austin Hill. I mean, if Austin Hill keeps doing what he's doing now, this this run with the Xfinity series is going to be short run, if you will. But I do also like his teammate, uh, Sheldon Creed. And I think RCRs did a great job of putting together an Xfinity uh, team that they expect to move up into uh, the, the Cup Series probably sooner than later for Austin Hill. Again, we're taking a lot off of one week in Daytona, but you know, I really do like the two RCR as a whole and their Xfinity rookie team. What are your thoughts? Sheldon Creed, yes, yet again, he, he's a driver that came over from the truck series. Now, Sheldon Creed, um, you know, for him at GMS Racing, they had a lot of backing over there. They had a lot of people working behind them. They had a lot of sponsorship behind them. Uh, often, I mean, sorry, um, Sheldon Creed's uh, old family put a lot of money behind his effort over there at GMS Racing, and they paid dividends for that. So for RCR to to make the to see this connection and see the 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 work that he you know Shelton Cree had put in uh, into the truck series, and Shelton Cree was a kid that came over from like um, uh, what I'm trying to think of what they call these things like these Baja trucks and stuff like that. Yeah, off road racing. So he he mm-hmm. came over he came over to NASCAR from from these uh, kind of uh, off-road racing series, then he was able to make himself into a proven winner in these trucks, truck races over at GMS Racing. So, you know, for Richard to, to kind of identify that technology, I mean, to identify that talent out of him, um, you know, just shows that, you know, Richard is trying to continue to build this organization up. And I know, you know, in the Cup Series, other than Austin Dillon, uh, being able to go out there and win a couple of races here and there, um, you know, over the years uh, for Richard Travis Racing, you know, since, since you know, obviously the death of Dale and Hart Kenya, there has been kind of a backseat to, you know, who and how much we talk about Richard Travis Racing over the years. But Richard is really trying to turn this program around. He's identifying new young drivers. Uh, Tyler Reddick uh, was a driver that won in the the Xfinity Series as a, as a champion into that. He put him in another car over there. Uh, he's seen, you know, uh, the, the two drivers that he's putting in Xfinity. Um, you know, these are two drivers that are going to compete all year long. And, and I think that the talent between the two of those, uh, you know, I, you're right. I, I could see at some point either Richard trying to um, – you know they have a they have a deal with College Racing where College has a uh, part time car uh, that works out of the RCR shop at the same time. Maybe one of these one of these young drivers gets an opportunity in that car either this season or next season, and then you start you know as a part time deal or a one off deal, 
and then you start seeing that transition up to the Cup Series because they, you know, I think they they go they're gonna they their learning curve isn't that hard. I mean, they've gone to a lot of these tracks already in the Truck Series, and now there's gonna be a couple of tracks that they haven't gone to just because of the nature of the Truck Series. Um, you know, and this being a longer season than the trucks. Uh, I, I think you, you're going to see – you've already seen what they've done. I mean, you know, Richard Service Racing has already put themselves in victory lane in the first race of the year, and, I, you know, I think it's, it's just going to go as a testament as to building that team back yeah. up once again and putting talent behind it all. You're right. And, you know, speaking of, of RCR, former driver of RCR, Matt Snyder, he'll be racing again this week. Man, after that huge wreck in Daytona in the final lap, uh, you know, he, he's now racing for Jordan, Jordan Anderson Racing. But he walked away from that crash with only a sore foot. And I know you watched it. I watched it. I was just like, wow. I mean, I, I anticipated a lot worse. And now we've seen – this This goes to show we've talked about the safety of the cars a lot over the years. But this just goes to show what goes on behind the scenes, the safety of these cars. When they buckle in, they fasten in to that bucket inside of that, that car – because there was nothing left of that car. Had that been maybe even two years ago, Matt Snyder would not be racing. I and mean, we may be having a very difficult conversation right now about Matt Snyder. But what are your thoughts when you saw that wreck? And now you, you see, oh, he's getting back in the car. And he's going to be, you tell him to get a sore foot. He's going to be racing this weekend at Fontana. Well, you know, being a, you know, I always say that, to be a race car driver, there's a there's something a little different to you being a race car <laughs> driver, it, and it, and it's kind of right. it's kind of like the old adage: if you fall off your horse, you got to get back up and get on it again. And that's kind of like race car drivers when they have these wrecks, they get right back in these race cars again, and they do it all over again. And he's gonna go back. He's gonna go to a track this weekend that in Fontana. I mean, it's a big fast racetrack out there too. So it's not like mm-hmm. he gets a break out there between maybe going to something that's a little bit slower. But I tell you what, when I saw this thing happen, you know, last Saturday, Mm -hmm. and the, I mean, we're all sitting there watching this thing go on, and then somebody makes a mention, and it's like, there's the engine being tumbling down the racetrack, and like, no, that's not the engine. We're we're all looking at one another like, no, there's no way that's the engine. And then then you get the close-up, and it's like, Yep, there's the engine going down the racetrack. I mean, he tore down over 200 feet of fence that had to be replaced. Uh, Denny Hamlin and Denny Hamlin, Bubba Wallace, and Michael Jordan had their RVs or their buses parked right there behind the fence uh, where the, all of this went on. Denny Hamlin posts pictures of suspension parts that had gone through the grill of his bus and was lodged in the grill and radiator area of his bus. That I mean, it just it sheared this car. There was nothing left except for the greenhouse that the driver sits in. And look, I've seen some amazing wrecks that have happened at Daytona. I can remember Bodine many years ago in uh-huh. a truck series event. Oh, yeah. Similar thing yeah. happens going down the back stretch. There is nothing left of the truck. So it's crazy. And it's very, you know, they put a lot of they put a lot of time and effort and, and, and to to make these vehicles as safe as possible. And you know, when that window went down and my Snyder's jumped out the vehicle like nothing happened, it's just a testament to all the work that goes in. It it, it is, you know, 
let's talk about something else. It's kind of scary. Actually, I, I know I talked with you offline with uh, via text. I'm like, what's what's up with the wheels? I mean, for it to happen one time, and I kind of, well, I told Melissa, I was like, you know, some some guy in the crew is going to get an earful. Then I see it happen again. What are the odds of it happening to two separate teams in the same race? I'm thinking, and, and, and they didn't just fall off. They were making, the, the tires were making a lap. <laughs> I mean, that's scary stuff, Steve, especially when you know that they already uh, taken off and that sort of stuff. That's scary stuff. NASCAR's got to address that. Well, you know, NASCAR NASCAR this year, they went from steel wheels over to aluminum wheels, and they've gone to a single lug instead of five lugs into this. Um, I think when you look at IndyCar and you look at F1, um, they 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 use single lug uh, wheels. Also, they use the single lug wheels, but my understanding is they use a different metal compound, and, and somebody has mentioned magnesium or something like that is a component of these wheels that they use in F1 and IndyCar, whereas the ones that they're using in NASCAR does not have this additional compound to strengthen the wheel. So as you know, aluminum is a very soft metal to begin with, and I mean when you're putting when you're putting that kinds of torque underneath of you know slamming these uh, um, tire these wheels on and off uh, the hubs along with you know the 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 lugs that are going on uh, eventually, and I and I did see some pictures where it looked like that there was some wearing around where the lug goes on, like you could just see where they had been damaged to the metal itself, uh, um, bending and kind of uh, uh, a little, it looked a lot different than when it went on the vehicles. So I don't know if they, if NASCAR has to go back and take a look at some, you know, the, the metal content of of these, and maybe that's a particular portion of this. I, I do know that, you know, they are, they did suspend the crew chiefs on on both of those teams. They suspended several of the the crew members on those teams, um, you know, because that's part. It's still part of the rule package. Is that even though right, they, they right. only have a single lug, if that thing comes off, your crew chief and two of your right. crew members are suspended. So um, I yeah. don't know. I don't know. I, I well, just one more quick point on this is sure, that the feedback prior to going into this is that both Penske and Roush. Uh, had issues with their wheels. And Brad Keselowski came out and said that, hey, look, we turned the data over to to NASCAR, that we made safety improvements to these wheels because of the ways that they were going on the cars. Roger Penske comes out in the Daytona 500 winning press conference and says, look, we also turned this data over to to NASCAR, and at this point we had not heard back from them. But the wheels were turned over to them. They were confiscated. NASCAR apparently has since, you know, the Daytona 500 and the and the comments by Brad Keselowski gone back and looked at the modifications that they made to these wheels and did not issue penalties in either one of regards to either Brad, Ke- I mean, uh, Roush Racing or Penske Racing for the confiscation of the wheels and did verify the fact that what they had done was a safety factor improvement to the wheels. That seems like going forward that other teams are going to be able to make to their wheels. Now, it has something to do with uh, – uh, I don't understand. 
I, I there's something to do with there's some uh, ports in the hole uh, in the wheels themselves that they ground down to uh, to allow them to go onto the car a little differently. And I'm not a hundred percent sure as to you know because I'm still learning some of this stuff with this new car. But it, it, either way, NASCAR did confirm what they did was a safety improvement, and that they did not have any kind of uh, 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 penalties as far as uh, you know for them uh, confiscating those wheels. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a scary thing. Uh, we talked about a really bad wreck. Uh, I mean, that could happen again with these wheels. So I'm glad that they're addressing that with, with the crew. I was just shocked to see it happen two times with two different teams in the same race. To me, I don't even know if that's ever happened. I didn't, I didn't fact check myself, but I've never, I've never seen anything like that in my life. You know, last week we talked a little bit about fantasy NASCAR. You said you hadn't started one. I, I, you know, I stepped out there. We started our first balanced fantasy race, uh, NASCAR racing. I think we're even going to do one for IndyCar. Do you going to? Are you going to play in our our balanced uh, fantasy league, Steve? Yes, I just haven't had the chance to set it up. I'm I sure had set it up last week. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure you have the link. We're gonna get the link. Melissa's gonna get it up on on social media. I appreciate you jumping in and, and spending some overtime uh, with us today. Uh, Steve, what are you guys working on this week? And and you know, obviously following the, the, the Fontana race, I always I love seeing your your post on Twitter. Try to get uh, retweet those as much as I can and get them in, on the Balance fan page. But uh, Speedway Digest, what are you guys working on? Well, we're following we're following what's going on out there in uh, Fontana and a lot of these unknowns that we just don't know about right now. So uh, we're going to we're going to try and keep up with all the the Fontana action out there. Uh, get a little bit of any car kind of um, intertwined into this as they get rolling uh, uh, throughout the weekend. So uh, look for all that uh, kind of to go up. Xfinity later on today. Cup Series tomorrow. Extended. I mean, uh, IndyCar also this weekend. So lots of different things going on it same time if you love racing you know the place to be is speedwaydigest.com that's what i say that's the bible if you love racing that's for sure if you, <laughs> if you need to know it's right there speedwaydigest.com steve where can people find your work in masterpieces i know i just said it but I, I love hearing you say it where can people find your work in masterpieces sir you you can follow us at speedway digest on twitter facebook.com slash speedway digest and then speedwaydigest.com you're the man as always. Have a good weekend, Steve. Thanks, man. Take care. Have All a good right. one. Bye-bye. Steve Wilson of SpeedwayDigest.com, our official NASCAR contributor and editor-in-chief. I'm, we're going to slightly go into overtime. I did quickly want to say something here, and just to kind of get it off my chest. You know, we, we complain about our government and different things that go on with our government, and then we see what's going on in Ukraine. So I, I want us as sports fans, to take a moment to realize the freedoms that we have in this country to enjoy the sports that we have. Well, let's pray for the people in Ukraine. We typ- I typically don't get in, into the politics and stuff, but I, I felt like this was huge. Uh, so I, I hope that, that, that you join us as a balanced team and pray for Ukraine and the, and the civilians. And, you know, I saw where there was an orphanage that was hit. Let's let's get this over with. Let's let's stop this madness. You know, we, we live in a great country, and we don't have to worry about Russia invading us. 
So as sports fans, let's gather around the people of the Ukraine and let's, uh, you know, lift them up in prayer and, you know, thoughts and karma and, and all that good stuff. And certainly we want to end on a positive note. Thank you, uh, Derek Schultz, for joining. I mean, I'll tell you what, he's one of my favorite people to have on the show. Don't get him very often because he is in high demand and he is very, very busy. He wrote a great article in the IndianapolisMonthly.com. We've got it up on social media, uh, but it is called uh, an, an, an oral uh, review uh, history. Sorry, the title escaped me, but it's a great uh, article. Check it out on IndianapolisMonthly.com. We do have the link on there. Thank you, uh, Derek, for coming on. That was an awesome uh, segment. Uh, Steve Wilson, SpeedwayDigest.com, our official NASCAR, helping us break down what's going on in Fontana and, and NASCAR and so forth. And unfortunately, we went, uh, were unable to have uh, Tony Donahue. He is out in St. Pete. Uh, just to kind of bring you up to, to speed on that, no pun intended. St. Pete is a uh, road course. It's in town. So unlike the oval tracks where we're at, you know, here in Indianapolis, there's not always a place to go uh, to, you know, make calls and take calls like a media center per se. Uh, so he was unable to call in because, well, if you've ever been to an IndyCar race, I don't need to say anymore. <laughs> when you say it's loud, it's loud. Uh, so I tell you what, that's, why we weren't able to have him on. Uh, we are going to try to get his pick uh, for the uh, IndyCar uh, and NASCAR. Uh, so when he gets a chance to get that over to us, we'll get it up on social media. We'll have all of our picks uh, for uh, this weekend in racing. Have a great, uh, great weekend. And, you know, have fun. Enjoy it. Enjoy life. It's too short, as they say. My name's Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Don't drink and drive. I didn't cool. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.